Now, as we look at um, our message this evening, we're going to be focusing on one person. I said this is a topical message. We are going to be focusing on Peter. Now, Peter, he, he's an interesting individual in Scripture. Peter is a mixed bag. One minute, he is claiming that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God, and then the next minute, he's sticking his foot in his mouth and saying something he wished he didn't. I can identify with Peter, and I'm thankful that God gave us Peter to remind us, you know what? If God can use him, I can use you too. And so this evening, we're going to kind of look at the good, the bad, the ugly of Peter, and just kind of get a few reminders of what God can do in our lives. And specifically, we're going to be looking at God's grace. Um, the title of my message, as you can see on the screen, is Be Thankful for Grace. I know we switched over to Christmas, but I'm still hung, hung up on Thanksgiving for one more sermon. All right. So this evening, be thankful for grace. Um, I know a lot of times over Thanksgiving, we thank God for our possessions, for our family. But this message is just focusing on being thankful for God being thankful for who He is, being thankful for His patience, being thankful for His grace in my life even when I don't realize it. And so I hope as we go through this message, we look at Peter, we look at how uh, God interacted with Peter, we can see ourselves in Peter and God's grace and how he, has been grateful, uh, how he has been merciful to us and we've seen His grace just as Peter did in his life. So be thankful for grace. Go ahead and if you could go to the next slide, brother. Um, this is our quick definition of grace, okay? Um, we often think of grace as something that we given to us that we do not deserve. But this is my full definition I want us to work with. Grace is a free gift given by God that we could never earn by our own works. And that's exactly what salvation is, is it not? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is exactly what grace is. Grace is a free gift given by God that we could never earn by our works. So with that definition in mind, we're going to look at grace. So many times we just apply it to salvation, but grace appears so many times throughout our lives far after we're saved. And we need to be able to recognize it and understand how much God and His grace is evident in our lives even when we don't realize it. So this evening we're going to begin in Luke chapter number 5. And begin reading with me in verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, speaking of Jesus, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed unto him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Okay, let's pause just right here. I want you to pay attention to one key word in this verse. When Peter, okay, he's referred to as Simon in this verse, but this is Peter, okay? Jesus, he gives him the name uh, Peter later on, but right now we're looking at Simon. He looks at Jesus, he's referencing, referring to Jesus, and he says, Master. This is how he's addressing him. I want you to notice, in this terminology, he is ascribing Jesus a position of honor. He's ascrib ascribing to him a position of someone in authority. Usually this was um, a, a title given to a teacher, someone who was respected. 
Um, and so we see this designation given to Jesus. Now pay attention to that because later on, we're going to see that he changes how he views Jesus. So for right now, I want you to notice, he refers to him as master. He says, we've told all the night, but we'll let down the net. And when they had had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Let's stop right there. Let's just pray and ask God for His help with this, with this message and understanding His Word this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank You so much. I thank You for Your Word. I pray that You would just help me this evening. Not to preach what I think, not to preach my opinion of what your word says, but God, just if anything, just help me to be able to explain your word and use your word to help those that are here this evening, maybe even listening online. God, your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, it's not about me. It's not about what I have to say, but God, it's about your word. Just help your word to be magnified this evening. Pray that you would help me to be able to accurately explain and to express the message you've laid on my heart. And I just pray that you would be with those here to help them to have open hearts. If they have something on their mind, something that could be pulling their distraction away, whether it's work, whether it's their phone right now, whether it's just the cares of this life, God, I pray that you would help them to just set them aside and just be able to focus on your word this evening. And may your word be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so here's kind of our scenario. We have Peter, he's meeting Jesus for the first time. And the first time that he looks on Jesus, he says, Master, we have toiled all the night, but nevertheless we'll let down the net. I mean, you can imagine, they've been at this for hours and hours. They're exhausted, they're tired, they don't want to do anything else. But because he respected Jesus, he knew there was something different. I don't believe he had accepted him as the Messiah yet accepted him as the person who he truly was, and I'll explain why. But he had enough respect for who Jesus was that he said, you know what? I'll give it a try. And so they went out one more time. And what he saw next, he couldn't believe. It says that the multitude of fishes was so much that their net break. They're calling other people over, and they have so many fish that it filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And then this is the key where we're going to focus for just a minute. When Simon Peter saw it. Underline that word, saw. I want you to focus on it just for a second. Okay, for those of you that don't know, like I said, I've been studying Greek. I study Hebrew. I've, I've, I, I enjoy the original languages. I'm a nerd, okay? So just bear with me. I'm going to be nerdy just for a second, okay? In Greek, you have two main words that are used for sight or for seeing. One just means the action. It's like I saw Pastor Davis just sitting there on the second row. It's just a general observation. But then there's a second word used for when you see with your eyes. It has the idea of not just seeing, but perceiving and understanding something. And right here we have that second word for seeing used. It's not just that Peter saw it, 
Peter looked on what was happening. He could see the fish coming into the boat. He could see their ships beginning to sink. And as he looked on Jesus and he saw everything around him, a light bulb just went off. This guy's different. He's not just a master. He's not just some teacher. He's the Messiah we've been looking for. Because no man could do what this man had done. And I want you to notice Peter's response. This is his response. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Excuse me, sinful man, O Lord. Can you go ahead and go to that next slide? First truth that I want you to see this evening is be thankful for saving grace. I believe this is the moment where Simon Peter accepted Christ as the Messiah, and this is what we would call his conversion. And let me explain why. Like I said, you know that word saw? You have that one where you could just say you saw something, you looked upon it, but then there's the looking and then understanding. In English, we actually have a saying that works like this, but it's with hearing. We would look at a teenager and and say, you know, that direction went in one ear and out the other. What are we saying? We're saying that they heard it, but they didn't actually comprehend it and follow through on it. That's what this is compared to, but it's comparing it with what you're looking at, with your sight. He didn't just see it, he understood. He had understanding that this man was different. And I want you to see his response. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Oh, did you notice what happened when he realized who Jesus was? When he realized who Jesus was, he realized just how sinful he was. His entire outlook of the situation changed. When he could see Jesus, he calls him, Oh, Lord. He didn't call him Master. This is the differentiation I wanted to show you. Before, Master just means a teacher. But, Oh, Lord, this is the title used of God. In the New Testament, this is the equivalent of capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D when we see it in the Old Testament. He's acknowledging Jesus, you're God. You're the one. You're you're the master over creation. You're the one who has power over me. You are it. And because you're God, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. I think sometimes we forget that this is what saving grace is all about. When we realize what sinners we are and how perfect and wonderful that He is. I told you that I got saved in this church. Now, I got saved at the age of seven. I can tell you it was September the 25th, 2002. I remember that day. And even before church, I got here a little bit early. And I just was walking around and I was looking at the different classrooms. And I was just thinking and I was remembering. I remember having Sunday school in that classroom. I remember when I got promoted to Miss Kelly's uh, Sunday school class in that classroom. I remember when I would have uh, master clubs in this room with Mrs. Casey Edmonds. And I could even take you to the spot where I accepted Christ as my Savior. I sat up there, it's actually at the top step, at that first first set of stairs, as you walk into the uh, Christian school, you go to the very top step. Sitting there on that top step is where I accepted Christ on a Wednesday night. Mrs. Casey Edmonds had given a lesson on on heaven. She talked about all the wonderful things that were going to be in heaven. She talked about, you know, the streets of gold, the pearly gates, the crystal sea. 
And I knew all about that. I knew all about how to get saved. I mean, my dad was a preacher. I knew, I knew the Romans road. I knew what I needed to get saved, but I just hadn't made the decision. But in that moment, I had that realization. The Holy Spirit began to speak to me and He said, if you were to die right now, even as a seven-year-old, you wouldn't get to go to heaven. You wouldn't get to experience all of these things. And so at the end of the lesson, Miss, Miss Casey, she asks, is there anyone here that doesn't know if they would go to heaven? if you would like to accept Christ today. And I raised my hand, and I went out in the hallway, and then we knelt at that top step. And as a seven-year-old boy, I accepted Christ. And you know, I, I should never forget that moment. I know for some of you, you may not remember the exact moment, but you shouldn't ever get over the fact of who you were before Christ saved you. Because you were a sinful man until He found you. And so many times we can get caught up in life, we can get caught up in coming to church, being busy, serving here, serving there, that we forget to thank God for where He found us and where He's brought us. And so our first truth we can find from Peter this evening is that we need to be thankful for saving grace. But secondly, we can see that we need to be thankful for reproving grace. Now Peter, he got saved, I believe, right here, but this isn't the end of his story. Go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22. Now, Peter, he got saved. He was able to follow Christ. He's one of his disciples. He's seen many wonderful things. And now we're at the end of the ministry of Jesus Christ here on earth. He's been following him for about three years. Peter has seen the sick healed. He's seen the dead raised to life. And he's at the end. And honestly, I believe that Peter, he's still under the impression that Jesus is going to He's going to overthrow the Roman government. He's about to set up his kingdom and he's about to sit on the throne and Peter's excited. And Peter's looking at Jesus and he's in this moment and Jesus looks at Peter and he says, beginning in verse number 31, Luke twenty-two thirty-one, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. Can you just stop there for a second? Jesus Christ prayed for Peter. Could you imagine having Jesus Christ praying for you? You know what's great? The book of Hebrews tells us that He does even now. It says that He sits on the right hand of the Father making intercession for the saints. Don't ever forget, when you're discouraged and you think you're all alone, Jesus Christ knows where you are and He's praying for you. And He was praying for Peter in this moment. He says, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Wait, hold up. Hold up. Let's, let's pause. He just said, when thou art converted. Wait, what, what does that usually imply in our understanding? When we think of this word converted. Usually we think of somebody who was lost being converted or being saved. We might, might think that just for a second, but no. All this word means, it's a good translation, it's, it's fine with the converted, but I just want to give you a little clarity. What, when it says converted, it means when you have turned back and when you come back to me. He's essentially telling Peter, you're going to stray and you're going to come back. And when you come back, strengthen thy brethren because they're going to need it. They're going to need that strong personality, Peter. They're going to need your strong stance in order to to make it through the trials that are coming their way. And he says, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. But look at Peter's response. 
And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. I love Peter, but you know what Peter had an issue of? He had an issue with pride. For all of the good of Peter, for stepping out of the boat, for taking those steps on the water, for following Jesus, for being one of the main three disciples, he had a little bit of pride. And Jesus knew that. He knew who he was dealing with. That's why he's giving him this encouragement. He says, when you come back, strengthen your brothers. He said, but Lord, I would never do that. Be careful what you tell God you're never going to do. How many times do we look around and we have that same pride, though? All you got to do is walk into Walmart. Oh, man, thank God I'm not like that person. You look at that person who is all tattooed up and have all the, has all the piercings and they seem to be as far away from God as they could be, and you're like, well, I'm glad I'm not like that person. I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as them. Be careful. Be careful. Pride goeth before destruction. And we find that with Peter. Because he says unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. He didn't know how soon it was going to be when he was going to be given a chance to put this into action. It sounded good, but it wasn't said out of humility, it was said out of pride. And he said, Jesus speaking to Peter, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. You know what Jesus is doing? He's reproving him. He's giving him a little bit of correction. He's showing Peter, you're not exactly where you think you are. You're not as good and as spiritual as you think you are, Peter. Be careful, because before the, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And he's given him that little bit of reproving. But can I remind you, I believe that's God's grace. Peter didn't deserve it. God could have just let Peter go off the edge and just let him go and said, well, if that's how you want to be, you want to deny me, then that's fine. But no, he was giving him some correction. He's giving him a little bit of instruction. He's saying, you're going to deny me. But when you come back, strengthen your brethren. And we never need to lose track of God's reproving grace. Because if we followed through with that first step and we have His saving grace, you know what else we have with us? That Holy Spirit. Don't ever grow cold to that reproving grace. We might find it annoying, but that's a grace. That's a gift of God reminding us, you're going down a road you don't need to be going down. When you start looking at things on Netflix and you know that little Holy Spirit's down there, you're like, nah, be quiet, it's okay, it'll be fine. No. When you don't have that spirit that you should in response to your spouse, you're thinking, ah, it's not that big of a deal. No, be careful, that Holy Spirit, don't, don't quench the Spirit. Because there does come a point where God says, you know what, if you don't want to listen to me, have it your way. And this is where Peter was. This is a breaking point. This is a turning point in Peter's life. He has that reproving grace there. He, he has God's instruction. But we have that same power available to us today through the Holy Spirit, so don't lose track of that. And don't ever take it for granted. Now, we're going to keep on point number two, but these verses aren't necessarily on the screen, but I want you to turn over one page to verse 54. So chapter 22 and verse 54. 
Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. He's been taken, and now we have Peter following afar off. Remember, what did Peter say? Lord, I would never deny you. I would go to prison and I would go to death for you, Lord. And here we find in verse 54, it says, Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. Number one. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. In about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. Number three. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. You know how Peter Peter was prideful just a few hours earlier? All that pride just dissipated. I would say he felt this small, but I don't even think that would be appropriate to describe how Peter felt. Could you imagine in this moment the man that you had followed around for three years? The man that you said that you loved and you, you followed as the Messiah, and he looks at you with a look of pure betrayal. In the moment that Jesus Christ needed someone, look at this moment. He's arrested. He's being ready to take, be taken to the cross. Everyone is forsaking him. He's all alone. No one else is around him. And surely he could find one friend, one person that would have been there in his darkest hour. But no, not even Peter. Peter forsook him. All the other disciples forsook him. And you have Jesus there all alone. He was warned, but he didn't heed the warning. In this moment, he denied Christ three times. And Peter remembered, in verse 61, And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Well, at least he had a, an appropriate response to that moment. I mean, he couldn't really say anything, but he was at least broken. Sometimes when God reproves us, it's okay to be broken. Even when we've completely messed up and we failed Him, don't maintain that sense of pride. Sometimes we need to be broken. Peter was broken, he went out and he wept bitterly. But here's the thing, here's where we're going, don't stay there. Because you know what? God wasn't done with Peter yet. So we need to be thankful for saving grace. We need to be thankful for reproving grace. But we need to be thankful, number three, for forgiving grace. Let's turn to John chapter number 21. John chapter number 21 and beginning in verse number 15. Now here's where we find Peter. Peter, we've seen his conversion. He accepted Christ. I truly believe that without a shadow of a doubt in Luke chapter number 5. 
But in Luke 22, he clearly denied Christ, denied he ever knew him. And what we find in, Luke, in John chapter number 21, Peter has already seen the resurrected Christ, but he's still broken. He's gone back to his former life where Jesus first found him. I'm not necessarily he was sinning for doing so, but he had gone back to where he was to begin with. He went fishing. I'm not saying it was good, not saying it was bad, but he got away. I believe Peter's pretty broken, pretty lonely, and he thinks he's probably good for nothing. Could you imagine putting yourself in Peter's place? You might sit there and say, eh, yeah, but I would never deny Christ. Remember what we said, be careful what you say. Because you might find yourself in a position you may not live up to the standard you think you would. You might fail God just as bad or maybe even a little bit more than Peter did. But there's forgiving grace. Here's what we find in John chapter number 21. In verse 15 it says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Here's your little warning. I'm about to get nerdy again. Throughout this passage, you may have heard this before, you're probably familiar with it. And if not, I'm going to explain a little bit. In this passage right here, in these three verses, you have two Greek words that are used for love. One word is agape. The idea behind agape is that it is an unconditional, self-sacrificing love. It's the word that's used when it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's unconditional, it's self-sacrificing, it gives of itself. It's that type of love. But then there's a second type of love. We've got agape is unconditional, but the second is philos. Philos, it is an affectional, an affectional love. It's based in your emotions. It's based in how you feel in the moment sometimes. Here's the thing. Agape is unchanging, it's unconditional. But philos, it can change depending on the situation. Your emotions can change. How you feel toward another individual can change depending on the situation, depending on what they've done to you. And that's the type of love. It's not bad, but it's lesser than that unconditional agape love. So as we go through here, I want to explain what's actually going on, how we can understand just a little bit of what Jesus is saying. So when they had dined, Jesus looks and says, Son of Jonas, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Agape. Do you love me unconditionally, Peter? Do you love me? Do you really love me more than anything else? And Peter answering saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I, Philos, love you. Lord, you know I have an affection for you. Lord, you know that I care for you deeply. And I believe that, Phil, that Peter knew he couldn't answer, I love you, agape, because his own actions had just demonstrated that he didn't. Jesus asked him, do you love me unconditionally? Lord, I have affection for you. And he does it again in verse 16. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, 
Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Simon, do you agape me? He said unto him, Peter answering, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I feel lost you. You know I have affection, Lord. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Now for this next verse, I'm actually going to need a little bit of help. If I could get Mr. Foster Thompson, could you just come up here real quick? Me and him have a very unique relationship. We're good friends. We bonded when we were both interns. He was here. I was interning for the Haskets. But I'm going to use you just for an illustration real quick. So I just need you to stand there. Can you do that? Can you handle it? I can do it. I just need you to stand there. All right. We're going to, we're going to have Mr. Foster. He is going to be standing in for Peter. All right. Now, what's going on in this situation is Jesus seems to be standing either with Peter or he's sitting down with Peter. They're, they're on eye level. They're, they're equal in stature, basically. But in language, Jesus is using different language. He's looking at Peter. He's saying, do you agape me? And then Peter's down here. I feel lost you. He's a lesser love. He knows he can't look at Jesus and say, I love you unconditionally. His own actions demonstrated it. So in verse number 15, do you agape me? Peter, do you agape me? And he says, fill us you, Lord. Verse number 16, it says, do you agape me, Peter? Peter looks at him and says, Lord, I fill us you. I have affection. But then in verse number 17, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? But this time, Jesus changed His Word. I believe He came down to Peter's level. He came to where He was. And He said, Peter, do you feel lost me? Do you really have affection for me? But notice what Peter does. Peter understands what Jesus had just asked. Because it says, Peter being grieved. Even his own reaction shows. Jesus brought down the qualifier. Because Jesus made it personally. He said, do you really fill us? And then Peter looks at him in a grieved spirit and says, Yea, Lord, thou knowest all things. You know that I love you. Fill us. Peter couldn't say it. He knew he couldn't say it. He knew he couldn't tell Jesus that he loved him unconditionally. But Jesus looks at him and says what for the third time? Feed my sheep. Here's what I want to emphasize. Jesus never brought up Peter's past. Jesus never brought up Peter denying him. Jesus just looked at Peter and says, if you really love me, stop focusing on yourself and focus on others. How many times do we think we fail God and we focus so much on ourselves that we'll just sit there and we'll wallow in our own failure and say, God, you couldn't use me. God, I've gone too far this time. You can't use me. Now, I will say, some of our sins will place a a limit on how we can be used 
There are things that we can do that will disqualify us from being used certain ways by God. But in this situation, Peter had denied God. He had denied Jesus Christ three times, but yet he was still usable. Be thankful for forgiving grace. Because Jesus came to where Peter was and he said, you know what? You really do have affection for me. Stop worrying about yourself. Go help them. Because when you learn to love them, you'll learn to love me. What is that agape? It's self-giving. It's self-sacrificing. In order to love Christ, you've got to learn to give of yourself. You've got to learn to help others. To love others. That's the key to love. That's what Jesus Christ did when He died for us. For God so loved the world. He gave everything for us. And that's how we learn to love Him. We give everything we have for Him. But we can get so caught up on ourselves and we can become so selfish and so self-centered that we don't even worry about others because we get so focused on our own issues. Now don't get me wrong. Don't, Don't stay where you are. Peter didn't stay where he was. He responded. He knew what to do. He got up. He still had issues, but he wasn't done yet. And he went out and he followed that command. Feed my sheep. Thompson, you can let him sit down. And how many times do we forget this aspect of God's grace? We know He had the grace to forgive us of our sin to save us, but we forget He has the grace to forgive us when we failed Him once we're already saved. And we can become so focused on us that we actually do become useless. Don't stay in the pit of despair. Learn to love others. and In learning to love others, you learn to love Him. That's the key. And that's exactly what Peter did. We need to be thankful for saving grace. We need to be thankful for reproving grace. We need to be thankful for forgiving grace. But finally, number four, we need to be thankful for restoring grace. Let's just go to Acts chapter number two. And I'll be done this evening. This is at the end of of our message, but it's one of One of the most significant moments in all of the New Testament. Pentecost. I got a quick question for you. Who is it that preached Pentecost? Peter. After all we just witnessed. But don't you know, he already denied Christ three times. He probably wasn't even saved to begin with. Be careful. Saved people can... Commit terrible sins just like an unsaved person can. He wasn't useless. He wasn't done. God still had a purpose for Peter. But he had to have a correct response when Christ had reproved him and when He gave him that opportunity. And he had the correct response. He started to love others. He started to feed the sheep. He began to love others and began to love Christ as He should. And in verse number 14, Acts 2.14 We're going to jump around a little bit, so so hopefully follow along with me. But beginning in verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Now we are going to skip down a little bit, because I just want to focus 
on one thing to make sure that we get through this. Because at verse 22, he's talking to the men there in Jerusalem. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And then go to verse number 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed for us, for this, forth this, which ye now see and hear. And I want you to go ahead and go one page over, or at least for me, sorry. May not for you, but down to verse 37. Peter had preached this message. He preached Jesus Christ, how he had been killed, how he had risen from the dead, and this is the response. In verse 37, Now when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. Change your mind. Change your actions. Turn to God. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And verse number 41. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. Brother Davis, if you preached the message and 3,000 people got saved, you'd probably make an Instagram post about it. I mean, I would. There you go. I'm telling you, what would you do if you had a preacher post on Instagram? 3,000 souls saved today. It was wonderful. First off, we'd probably say, ah, he's lying. Um, <laughs> and honestly, but the thing is, he wasn't. Not in this, this, is, this is inspired scripture. 3,000 people got saved. Who preached the message? Peter. Who denied Christ three times? Peter. Was God done with him? No. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I did this just for Brother Davis. <laughs> I pay attention. I watch y'all's live streams sometimes. So what? What does this mean? God can use you to serve Him even after you've failed Him. Some of our greatest successes come after our greatest failures. I believe Peter had to fail in order to become the Peter that we see at Pentecost. Where he was spiritually in that moment when he said, Oh Lord, I would never deny you. That Peter could have never preached Pentecost. Because he needed to be humbled. And sometimes that's our greatest weakness. We think we're better than others. We think we're better than we are. We think that we're on some spiritual pedestal. And that God, oh, why isn't God using me to save 3,000 souls? I'm, I'm a good preacher. No, we can puff ourselves up and think too much of ourselves. And sometimes we need to be humbled and reminded it ain't about us. It's about Him. Because that's where Peter was. When he was standing there and Jesus came to him, do you love me unconditionally? Peter couldn't say he did. But he wasn't done with him. He said, feed my sheep. What did he do? Fed the sheep, went out, 
Got back up, 3,000 people got saved. But it wouldn't have happened, I don't believe, if he hadn't have gone through that humbling experience. Some of you sitting here this evening, you're probably somewhere on the Peter spectrum. You might need to be thankful for that saving grace. You might have forgotten where God's brought you from. You might need to be thankful for that reproving grace. You know you got a sin in your life and you know God's trying to help you with it, whether it be pride, whether it be anger, whether it be unthankfulness, and God's poking your heart and you're going the way of Peter. But you need to be thankful for that reproving grace. But then if you do fail, it's not over. Be thankful for that forgiving grace. Maybe you failed God and you need to come to the altar this evening and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm Peter. It's me. I've failed. I haven't loved you like I should, but God, help me to love others so I can learn how to love you. Don't focus on yourself. Don't make it all about you. Make it all about Him. And then be thankful for that restoring grace. Because at the end of it all, guess what? If you failed God, if you're still breathing, if you've still got air in your lungs, He's not through with you yet. He's still got a purpose. And you might say, well, what can I do? I don't, I don't teach, I don't preach. Can you, can you push a vacuum? Can you clean a toilet? See, we, we get so caught up, we think this is the ultimate, standing behind a pulpit and preaching. No. The ultimate is being faithful to what God has given you an opportunity to do. Peter was faithful. Not all the time, but at the end, after he got back up, he was that rock of the early church. And he kept going. So be faithful where you are. And you might think, yeah, but I don't have that important of a job. That's for God to decide, not you. Be faithful where God's placed you. Be willing. Maybe you are doing what you need to, but God's asking for just a little bit more. Maybe He's asking, you know, you need to be willing to teach that Sunday school class. Yeah, but God, don't you know me? I, I don't, I'm not qualified for that. Look at me. I'm a redneck from Virginia. I'm translating the Bible. I'm sitting here, God, I ain't qualified either, but... By God's grace, it ain't me that's doing it. Because I'm not the one that has the abilities that's God through me. So there you go. So what? God can use you. You've still got air, air in those lungs. Come to pastor. If you're still breathing, ask him, how can I be used? You might have failed, but don't give up. Make that, make that your New Year's resolution. Make that your Christmas resolution. I don't know. Get back up. But do it with the right heart. The heart of humility and the heart of thankfulness for who God is and how much His grace is evident in your life. So will you do it? Recognize God's grace in your life and be thankful for it. Because God's grace is the greatest gift we've ever been given. Let's pray.